His name was Kobe. He was a third grader in the school that he attended. One day at school, he was given the assignment by his teacher to go home and pick out his favorite book and then come back the next day and read it to his class. His parents had been talking to him about being a light that shines in the darkness. So Kobe picked out a book with the title, The Legend of the Three Trees. And in that book, three trees imagine what they're going to be when they grow up. And one tree is made into a manger where baby Jesus is laid. Another tree is made into a boat where Jesus teaches from the Sea of Galilee. And the third tree is made into a cross where Jesus is crucified. So the book just tells the story of Jesus, and he was excited to share that with his class. But about mid-morning, the phone rang at Kobe's house. His mom, Cindy, answered the phone, and it was Kobe's teacher. Cindy could tell something was wrong, and the teacher explained that she was not comfortable with the book that Kobe had picked out. She wasn't comfortable with what the book discussed. And here's what the teacher said. It's okay for him to read that to himself, but it's not okay for him to share that with others. Now, folks, that is the not-so-subtle message that a lot of us receive from the culture in which we live today. It's okay if you want to read this book to yourself. That's fine. You go right ahead and do that. It's not okay for you to share it with others. That's what the culture says. And so increasingly as Christians, we find ourselves at this crossroads. Will we keep things comfortable or will we have the conviction to speak up and try to make a difference in the world where we live? And for a lot of us, we've just kind of gotten into this philosophy of keep your opinions to yourself. And sometimes that's not a bad idea. To keep your opinions to yourself. There's nothing more annoying than someone that goes around and shares all their subjective opinions. That's not healthy. Someone comes up to me in the foyer today and says, you know, Bill, I, I don't like your shirt color and I don't think your tie matches it. Well, what should I say? Well, I don't like the color of your dress. It doesn't go with your hair. You know, I, I mean, should we all just say what we think and see how that works? Well, no, that's not a good idea. But when it comes to faith, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the issues of Scripture, it's not okay to keep those things to yourself. We must have enough conviction to speak up. Even if it means embarrassment, even if it means disagreement, even if it means rejection. When's the last time that you spoke up for Jesus and you were embarrassed? When's the last time you said something that someone disagreed with? You see, we tend to avoid those positions and those situations. And so I'm wondering if maybe there's a co-worker where you work that's always critical of, of the church that you attend. And it's time for you to say something with love and grace, but you say something. Or maybe there's a neighbor that's gone through a divorce and she needs someone to speak the words of hope into her life. Maybe it's an adult child whom you didn't raise in a Christian home and you think my chance to speak to them has passed. 
No. You still need to say something. Maybe it's a parent who didn't raise you in a Christian home, and they don't really understand why you're here at church on Sunday morning. They, they don't really understand what's going on, and you've not talked to them about it. Maybe it's time for you to do that. For a lot of us, I think, just having the conviction to speak up and say something is difficult because we've bought into some of the philosophy of our culture. I mean, if you've bought into this philosophy of relativism, of, of relative truth, that all truth is relative, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you sincerely believe it, so you can have your truth and I can have my truth and we'll just live and let live. A lot of people bought into that. Or maybe you've jumped on the tolerance bandwagon. And I'm all about tolerance if it means treating people with love and respect to maybe believe differently than you do, but increasingly, tolerance means that we have to approve and condone everything in someone's lifestyle. And the height of arrogance then is to tell them that they're wrong or doing something wrong. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. Hmm. So God has called us to be men and women of conviction. And yet there are part of us who are a little bit like Kobe's teacher. We say, you just keep your opinion to yourself. You know, that, that philosophy of keeping your opinion to yourself, I don't think that's going to catch much traction. Because as soon as you say to someone, keep your opinion to yourself, you're no longer keeping your opinion to yourself. Right? I mean, and should you actually decide that you're actually going to keep your opinions about keeping your opinions to yourself to yourself? Now, did that make sense? It's going to be really hard to influence people to keep their opinions to themselves if you go that route. I mean to say you need to keep your opinions to yourself. Even that requires you to speak up. And if we're going to make a difference, it means we've got to say something. And Peter was a difference maker because he had the conviction to speak up. And that's what we see as we study Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're at a point in Jesus' life where the disciples have seen enough to know that this isn't your average ordinary rabbi. I mean, Peter had seen Jesus as he had calmed the storm, as he had fed the multitudes, as he had driven demons into pigs. He had watched as Jesus caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. Jesus had straightened withered limbs and turned funeral processions into family reunions. And even beyond all the miracles, they'd just seen the character of his life. This is a man who practiced what he preached. 1 Peter 2, 2, Peter said he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So Peter realizes this man's a real deal. And in some ways, all of this has led up to a point of conviction in his life that we're going to witness right here in Luke chapter 9. Here's what we read beginning in verse 18. 
It came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the multitude say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone. I want you to notice first the way that Jesus asked the question. Who do the multitudes, who do the people say that I am? What are people saying about me? What are the opinions out there? And just like we see today, there are a lot of ideas, a lot of different ways that people thought of Jesus. And they told him, well, some think you're John the Baptist has come back to life, or Elijah or one of the other prophets has risen from the dead. A lot of different ideas, but then Jesus turns the question, and he makes it much more personal. He starts off by asking, who do people say that I am? But then he makes it much more personal and says, who do you? Who do you say that I am? And here's the first thing that I want us to understand this morning, that a conviction is based on a personal decision. A conviction is based on a personal decision. You see, for many of us, perhaps unknowingly, we have formed our beliefs and our convictions and our values of what's right and wrong, not on a personal decision, but we've based it on popular opinion. I mean, we've just determined our beliefs and values based on what everyone else thinks. And so we read the polls, we pay attention to the surveys, and our values and beliefs have a tendency to reflect that. Francis Schaeffer called that the 51% morality. That whatever the majority thinks is what we decide to go along with. <coughs> but increasingly, as Christians, we need to be prepared to have convictions. Because we're going to find ourselves more and more, I believe, in this culture being in the minority. Our culture promotes, condones, and endorses things that are totally unscriptural and that God himself calls an abomination to him. Our culture promotes things like abortion, same-sex marriage, the gender identity issues, the list could just go on and on. And some people might say, well, preacher, you shouldn't speak on those things. Those are political issues. No, these are biblical issues. And first and foremost, they are biblical issues, and we will talk about them. Because it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of preference. It's not a matter of political affiliation. That's not what it's about. It's a biblical conviction. And we must have enough conviction to say something. And when our state leaders and national leaders try to promote these things, then Christians must have the conviction to speak up. Because the alternative is to say nothing at all. Everybody's comfortable. Nobody gets upset. Nobody's concerned. 
But when we do that, we lose the opportunity to make a difference. A conviction is based upon a personal decision. It's not based on popular opinion. I also want you to see that a conviction is based on a personal decision and not past traditions. I think for many of us when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to our faith, we've made decisions based on our religious heritage. But what Jesus does, I mean what Jesus does to Peter, he does to us. What do you personally believe about me? You see, Jesus doesn't say, well, tell me this. Were your parents Christians? Were your grandparents Christians? Jesus doesn't ask what church you came from. He doesn't ask, well, was it your parents' decision to have you baptized as a child? He doesn't ask, you know, was your mom a Baptist? Was your dad a Catholic? He doesn't ask that. He asks, what's your decision? Have you made a personal decision? He's not asking about your religious tradition or your religious heritage. He wants to know what your personal decision is about him. Who do you say that I am? And so like Peter, each of us must come to this point where we make a personal statement, a personal confession of our conviction. And we say, I believe, I do. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. It has to be a personal decision. Now, if you look at verse 13, again, it reveals there were a lot of different ideas about who Jesus was at that time. But Peter has enough conviction to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But, you know, it's one thing to say that in front of the disciples and Jesus I, I think I could have done that, right? It's another thing to say it when the pressure's on. It's one thing to carry your Bible into church on Sunday. It's another thing to carry it into work on Monday. It's one thing to bow your head and pray silently here in worship. It's another thing to do it in a crowded restaurant. It's one thing to talk about the preacher sermon out in the foyer with your friends. It's another thing to do it with friends in your neighborhood who don't go to church. And you see, here's the thing. We don't really know what our convictions are until they're tested. And that's what I want you to see, that a conviction is revealed during times of pressure. Pressure has a way of bringing the real you to the surface. In Acts chapter 4, we see this in Peter's life. Peter and John have been preaching publicly about Jesus, <coughs> teaching about him, and the Sanhedrin come to them in Acts 4, verse 18. Here's what happens. It says, they, the Sanhedrin, called them, Peter and John, in again. This isn't the first time. And they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So what do you have there? Well, you got a moment of truth, right? Because these are the same people who had Jesus arrested. These are the same people that had Jesus crucified. And now they're commanding Peter and John, we're not going to let you talk anymore about Jesus. Well, they're about ready to find out what their real conviction is. And maybe some of you have had moments like that where the boss wants you to fudge on some numbers. And your job's already on the line. You're going to find out who you really are. Or maybe your boyfriend says to you, honey, I love you, 
We don't need to wait. You know we're going to get married anyway. Or maybe it's the spouse who rolled their eyes at you when you said that you were going to come to church this morning. Maybe it's the teacher who on the very first day of class shook his head and said, please tell me there is no one in here who believes in intelligent design. Well, you're about ready to find out what your true convictions are. Pressure has a way of revealing what our real beliefs are. It's one thing to say it, it's another when the pressure's on. And there in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 to 20, it said, But Peter and John replied to the Sanhedrin, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Peter says, We're going to talk about him. That was his conviction. And for us, stress has a way of bringing our true beliefs to the surface. And when that pressure is there and the storms of life are upon you, when you can feel the wind blowing hard, that's when you find out if you really believe what you say you believe. When the medical tests come back positive, do you really believe God's in control? Or does that just sound nice? When you lose your job, do you really believe that God will provide for you? When you're overwhelmed with guilt over a sin you committed, do you really believe that God can forgive your sins, or is that just something you say? When a loved one dies, do you really believe in the hope of heaven, or is that just something you like to sing about in church? You see, those moments of stress and pressure have a way of revealing our true convictions. I think what made Peter such a difference maker with his convictions is that he lived them out in his life. And we've got to do the same thing. Because, you see, a conviction is proven by how you live your life. It's one thing to say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's another thing to live that out. And ultimately what we see in Peter's life is that this confession he makes in Luke chapter 9 that would be the determining factor of who he was as a person. It would be what made his decisions for the future. This was the anchor for the rest of his life. And as Christians, this can be a real challenge for us. We can say the right things. For a lot of us, we know how to talk the talk. The issue is, will we walk the walk? And it's not always reflected in our life. And here's what's happened to a lot of people. They've had a preacher or a teacher or a parent. They've had someone in their life who spoke up and said all the right things. They talked the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. That truth wasn't reflected in their life. And some of you have probably had to overcome that. And instead of making a difference in your life, here's what they did. They created indifference in your heart towards spiritual things. Because you saw someone who spoke up but didn't live it out. George Gallup has done a lot of research on this. He says it's an epidemic in this country. And the term, the phrase that he uses to describe it is incongruous values. Incongruous values. It's when you say you believe in one thing, but then you live a different way. And we can do it a lot of the time. We say our families are most important to us, and then we skip our days off, or we never have time to read to the kids or spend time with them. 
Or someone says, well, my health is really important to me, and that's what I value. Well, do you exercise? Well, I'm going to. I'm waiting until all the people clear out of the gyms after their New Year's resolutions, and then I'm really going to get serious about my exercise regime. Okay. Do you eat right? I've been known to eat correctly on occasion. Well, do you get a good night's sleep? Well, I'm going to this week. And so what we say is important ends up there's no evidence for it. Or maybe it's your finances, and you say financial security is really important to me. Well, are you on a budget? Uh, No. Are you going deeper into debt? Not sure. Have you started a savings plan? Are you saving anything? I'm going to. You see, financial security is important to me, and this is what we do. We say one thing, but then it doesn't show itself. It doesn't reflect itself in our lives. It's one thing to say it, folks. It's another thing to live it. But when you live it, that's what gives it power. And that's what allows us to make a difference. I heard about a guy, a young man, who went on a senior trip with his senior class. And they went to Dallas, Texas. And there, for the first time, he saw a guy bungee jump. And it was one of the tallest bungee jumps in the country. And this young man made the offhand remark, you know, I'd do that, but I'm not going to spend 40 bucks to do it. (laughs) Well, about that time, a girl he was sweet on standing next to him said, here's $20, will that help? And then the rest of the kids chimed in and given money so that he didn't have to pay a cent. He said he didn't so much bungee jump that day as he bungee fell with his eyes closed. You have to be careful with your words, right? It's one thing to stand up in front of a lot of people and say with a lot of courage and conviction, I'll do it. I can do it. It's another thing to take the leap. And it's one thing to walk down front and give your life to Jesus and speak up and confess his name. But it's another thing on Monday morning to do the same thing in front of people that don't know him. And you know that. We don't want to be people that just put the Ten Commandments up in our yard or on the wall. We want to live the Ten Commandments out in our life, right? We want to really do them. I mean, conviction means more than just saying, I'm not going to take the name of the Lord my God in vain. A conviction means we'll change the channel when it's done so repeatedly on TV. A conviction means more than saying we're going to honor the Lord's Day. A conviction means you're going to be here on the Lord's Day. A conviction does more than say you shall not commit adultery. A conviction looks away when lust is tempting. A conviction doesn't flirt with a coworker. A conviction does more than say you shall not steal. A conviction reports all of the income. A conviction leaves all of the office supplies at the office. A conviction gives a tithe back to God. A conviction does more than say you shall not murder. A conviction releases bitterness. It forgives when revenge and hatred seem more appropriate. So, you know, put the Ten Commandments up on the wall. Slap the Jesus fish on the back of your car. Put Christ follower on your Facebook page, and that's great. You speak up, but you make sure it's being reflected in your life. The call of the morning 
is not, as we approach a new year, to make another resolution. The call for us is to have a conviction and to let this one conviction about Jesus, his identity, who he is, let that determine the rest of our lives. So will you have enough conviction to step up and speak out for Jesus? So let me finish by telling you the rest of the story about Kobe. Kobe's at school. He's brought his book. The phone rings at home. His mom answers the phone. The teacher says he's welcome to read it to himself. It's not okay for him to share it with everyone else. But his mom, Cindy, remembered this article she had read in a church paper that talked about the rights that Christians have to share their faith in public schools. So I'm sure she was nervous, but she said to the teacher that he does have the right to read the book that he chooses. But she could tell when she hung up that the teacher wasn't going to allow it. Well, they found out when Kobe got home from school, he had only made it through the first page of the book, and the teacher called him over to her desk. And you can imagine what a long walk that would have been for a nine-year-old. And when Kobe got home, he told his parents for a while after that, he just didn't talk or say anything. He was afraid he might cry. And when the teacher got off the phone with Kobe's mom, she told Kobe, well, we're going to have to talk with the principal about this. And the teacher said, how would you feel if one of the students came in and read a book about the devil? How would you feel about that? So Kobe's parents decided this was something they weren't going to back down from, and that if this was the book Kobe wanted to read to his class, then he was going to get the chance to do that. So his mom, Cindy, sat down, wrote a nice letter with an article that explained her son's rights. She sent it to the principal and to the teacher. Eventually, the principal came to Kobe and he said to Kobe, if you want to, you can bring your book to school tomorrow and you can read it. But would he? After all that had happened, would you? So here's what Kobe did. The next day he got his book that tells about Jesus. He took it to school. He went up to the front. He whispered a little prayer like his parents had talked to him about. And he read that book while his disapproving teacher watched in silence and all the class was looking at him. Well, the next Sunday, the preacher asked Kobe to come up front and read some of the book to his congregation while the congregation considered where in their own life God was calling them to have courage and conviction to speak up for him. And so Kobe came to the front of the congregation. He read about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When he finished, the congregation stood and gave him a standing ovation. It was inspiring to them that a nine-year-old third grader had the courage and the boldness to get up and share what he believed about Jesus. And listen, each of us will have the opportunity at home or at work or in our neighborhoods to speak up for Jesus. Will you? Will you have enough conviction to do that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and you could go to heaven? Not because of anything you've done, 
but because of what he did for you. If you believe that, then you need to confess that with your mouth, the Bible says. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. You need to make a personal decision, and you need to speak up. And if you haven't done that yet in your life, and if you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray you'll have the courage to step out this morning and enough conviction to speak up and meet me down in front to confess your faith in Christ Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you want to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked. Why not answer that and mean it today? Let's stand and sing.